Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast where... Three hair-whipping, heel-strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture... Growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up! I probably not ever do. What? the bottoms up. bottoms up ever do. Go down and we'll go oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. How y'all doing? What's up? How's it going? It they go on and I think I go on a good sis. Who got a conference? Oh the conference she go. Must say I got a conference. This is my first time. And the conference was lovely. I took so I didn't post any pictures because I didn't get any like really cute social media um worthy ones but i did take your advice about pushing in terms of like pushing the boundaries with like the um you know african prints and them some of them i'm gonna come up with an outfit the first verse day see you know after you go in here you're warm down and you're, um you're, you're relaxed so this next day another morning my mother just has sway go down just a sway go down so i don't know i never jump in the group chat but tell it thanks i said them love it oh they love i got so many compliments on that outfit but I never posted it to social media because I um I couldn't get a nice enough photo and I was so mad. I just dropped it in the group chat. I was so mad. Um but yeah, it was good. And then the next day, of course, I had something else in the bag. Um the next day I wore heels to my presentation, which was like a first for me. And that was like another um big moment of like uh oh, stepping into the space and like you know owning the space and showing up in as my full self you know in 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 all my glory and all my fierceness and that was good and i felt like you know i came i saw i i conquered and i did what i was supposed to do and now like my impre- my, my my goal was to be memorable and i'm sure i'm sure i did that um i'm sure i did that because my advisor came back to let me know that people were you know we're coming up to her asking about the, the her student, the student from her school, which was me. You know what's that? Right? Right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of people doing big things in life, congrats to a certain Mr. Murray out here getting, you know, big up degree and all these things. Woo! I'm trying to make sure I'm talking about food in a mask on the mask, bro. <laughs> um, but on a note, I'm really glad I got. Um, I well, I was sitting and waiting for the award because I'm. I know my grades for my courses, but um, I was waiting up. I was waiting for the dissertation primarily for two reasons. One, whenever I really did meet with my supervisor, I did feel careless. And then the second reason is because um, I wrote the dissertation, the actual writing, in like four days, <laughs> like the, the last four days. I really kind of feel bad about that. Come and say, oh gosh, you call me careless, but. There really was a lot of research that went into it, and it was on an era I never knew a lot about access to justice and language, um, and have, having to go through like linguistics, which is not something I am familiar with, even though it was sociolinguistics. Um, still, it was a bit 
challenging because it was a brand new area for me. And it wasn't an area that was touched in any of the courses that I did. So I did really just out from my own. But uh, big up to all of the people who helped me, Suelle, Javian, and especially Dr. Celia Brown-Blake, um, because she's the one that really, in the end, directed me on the path I was supposed to go. So I'm just very happy to have done that and to kind of... Um, close that chapter in a sense but also i don't always celebrate myself so we really take the time for, for celebrate and go on also and i think some other things that i like to share is that um I, I i've been challenging myself since london especially with wearing my heels and to be able to show up at the press association of jamaica awards in my heels with my sisters christy and kim all of us in heels all of us just in those kind of mainstream spaces and being there was very powerful for me. And critically, and this is very key, we did in at the after party and we are dancing, the man dancing in at the heels and we are dancing, the woman dancing in our heels. And whenever they are taking off the heels because we are bad people and want them to know that when I kick off heels in a, in a, in a dance, we're that dead. And then we go away and after we did stay. We kick off with heels in the camera. Yeah, you have to commit to it, you. Ah, when your foot has slide out to the next side, you have to walk same way. No, you can't get none for chat. No, you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel really good about especially those two things. Um, and now, I'm currently, for those who are following me on social media, um, I'm currently in D.C., a part of this um, leadership program that I am doing, visiting four different cities um, to kind of expand my knowledge and exchange with uh, with leaders from different countries and learn a bit more so I can improve my work. So yeah. Things are going for me little 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 wait what was it? Big up your blog heart self, you know it's here's a <laughs> Yeah, while well, there Big up What have you been up to Cornell dear? Uh, still am I what? Yes, I am still dancing, I'm still playing volleyball. I am eagerly awaiting the end of the semester because I am over uh, teaching at the moment. So the sooner that happens, the happier I will um, be. So even as we speak, I have a bunch of papers waiting for me at home. So I, I should get on that at some point in time, but that can that can wait. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So today we are talking about our... Uh, what is it, underlying, or maybe not that underlying, actually, daddy issues and, and such things. Um, we do have a, a guest today with us, Joe. So might I introduce um, dearest Albert, who will be joining us today. Say hi to the people then. Greetings. Just for Albert. Greetings, <laughs> Albert. <laughs> Albert with a good voice. Say hello, Papa, please. Hi, people. Hi, Glenroy. Hi, Kareem. Hey. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so I guess the gist of today's episode, we are going to be talking about our relationships with our fathers, if they exist at all, what it was like growing up in that environment, the extent to which our father, our fathers, I guess, I don't know, taught us to be men, as it were, or maybe they extend to even... Because I'm also thinking of... There's a way that, like, having a gay child is somehow read as a failure, so I'd be curious to hear whether or not it was perceived that way by your fathers or other family members. We're going to be getting into a little bit about discussions about whether or not we have had certain kinds of conversations 
with our fathers around coming out and such and how that was um, received. But yeah, I mean, I think we've we've said in previous episodes that gay men have special relationships with um, their mothers, but uh, I'd be curious about hearing what that looks like for the men or the father figures in your lives as well. Yeah. So, so August that? Huh? August that? Well, I mean, how about we give our <laughs> our guests the honor of, of beginning <laughs> since people have heard so much from us in previous occasions. <laughs> All right. Um, so I should start by saying that I bear my father's full name. I'm his junior. Um, and in... In a weird, probably not weird way, but but in 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 some form, I took on this idea that I was an ambassador for my father, in 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 many ways. Um, I grew up with three sisters. Um, my mom, my dad was was around. Uh, we in typical working family fashion um i hardly saw him um he left early before i woke up came home mostly when i was probably fast asleep sometimes he would wake me up when i was much younger and we kind of fostered a relationship when i was much younger as a child i remember adoring him um when i started becoming conscious of my sexuality i think i I started pulling away. I, I I don't know if it was so conscious as I mean now looking back, I, I, I realized that I was pulling away out of fear that he would recognize a certain idiosyncrasies and and read into them or find out that hey his son is one of them. <laughs> right? Um I I especially remember going to high school or starting high school, which for enough was a co-ed institution, and um People pointing out that, hey, my voice didn't match what boys should sound like and my body didn't look like what a boy's body should look like. I wasn't interested in other things that boys were interested in. And a barrage of teasing started. Um, somebody came up with this clever way of, of, of reinventing my name from Albert to Galbert. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I'm going laugh, but... <laughs> I can laugh. I can laugh. <laughs> and it stuck. That one stuck. That one really did stick. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Continue. <laughs> I mean, and, and I mean, there were, there, there was a lot of bullying. There's a lot of cases of me being beaten up. Like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all of this I hid, I hid from my, from my family. Like I, when I got home, nobody knew what was happening at school. My father didn't know about the teasing. He didn't know about any of any anything at all. As a matter of fact, pretty recently, I shared most of what was happening with my with my with well, with my mom, and she was actually moved to tears because she said she didn't realize or she didn't know what was happening, and she's she was hurt that I didn't feel safe enough to to reveal any of it to them. But enough about she's not her. She's not her time now. <laughs> um, but as I said, I didn't tell my father because I had this idea that you know, my my parents saw that I was wasn't gender conforming. That none of my, my that that they they somehow were blind to it because it never came up at home. 
nobody ever said that I behaved in a way that was not, they were not comfortable with or anything like that. Not It never, ever, ever came up at home. And so I was lulled into this false sense that they didn't notice. Um, I think the first, the first time I can recall my father calling attention to it, I was a teenager, like mid-teens, and he asked me, I remember one day, why I was walking like that. And of course, I didn't know what I was walking like, and he didn't go into what I was walking like, but it was enough. Um, it, And I think that was the, the first time I realized that, hey, yeah, I need to be careful now because my father is noticing. Um, and another, when I came, when I, when I came out to my mom, when my mom found out, or uh, really, when we had that discussion with my, I had a discussion with my mom, I remember her, the first thing she said, or rather the last thing she said when we were leaving the conversation was that she would not tell my father. She said, don't worry, I won't tell your father. And I think it's, it's it, it kind of drove home this idea that he would not be able to hold it. Like, I would be an embarrassment to him because here I am, his ambassador, the the only boy who is supposed to further his name, who is supposed to represent him as the man when he's, as the man, and I put that in inverted commas, when, when he's not around. And somehow here I was not measuring up, not being enough um, because I was a, a, attracted to, to, the same, to the same gender. Um, I, I'm not sure if I should probably go into where we are now. Um, is this the time for it? Or I mean, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later, actually, because I would, if you're comfortable, if you're comfortable, like later on to see a bit more about the, the article that you wrote okay. um, in terms of like thinking about where you are now. But I was wondering, so you were saying he was commenting on the the way that you were walking and I was wondering if either Glenn or Kareem had any instances in your childhood of um, failing masculinity in a kind of way that people were like, I don't know, you aren't doing this properly. I guess. Well, then, no most girl, we think. All right. So for me, um, my relationship with my father is, is re-emerging, and I—I I mean, I think we're back in a good place now um, because we had reconnected in 2017. But um, while I was growing up, I mean, so he had left Jamaica when I was like 10, and then before that, um, he and my mother lived together when I uh, up to age of seven and after that they split and then I saw him less and less um and then he had he had had another child uh, which is my brother and then you know uh the, the other kind of responsibility also meant that we saw each other less and less um and so in in the years where my queerness was becoming more prominent he wasn't necessarily around his side of family was and then I had an uncle who at the time was overly invested in my school life because he went to Casey as well. Um, and so there were moments where, because I was perceived as queer at school, that kind of filtered down um, to that side of family. And it did create some tensions. Uh, but then we did stop talking to him for two years because I want incident with it. I'm not related to my queerness, but, never, but a lot of it was about his over-involvement in my schooling. Point being... Um, when that, there were moments when my family kind of made note of my queerness and um, 
because I spent more time with my mom than with that side of family. It was not it was not that difficult to deal with. It became more difficult to deal with when my when my mother started being the one to take up the issue of my my queerness and, and, and my feminine um attributes or my feminine characteristics. Um but for me, how my father impacted me was through his absence. And for, and for a lot of us who, even though they like to blame um, male absenteeism, or some people like to connect male absenteeism or father absenteeism to, to the, the cause of homosexuality, bullshit. Um, but suffice to say, a lot of us in Jamaica do have um, absentee fathers at some point in our lives. And that has impacted my queerness, actually, in a certain kind of way, rather than causing it. And so in the relationships that I have with men, um, one men I look for my father. So let me just get that out of the way. But more importantly, I cannot I cannot allow a man to, to tell me what to do. And it's it and I know it sounds stupid, um, but even if it's not even if he's meaning well, even if he um is not trying to hurt me or anything, I I, I have this disdain almost for male authority figures in my life professionally personally relationally so whereas if a woman is authoritative with me i might not have an issue i will i will not perceive it in a certain kind of way the minute a man deepening voice towards me kind of so like him or command me i immediately i'm like i'm in defensive mode i'm ready to go at it with him because i guess in my mind is like I'm, my father wasn't that active in my life at certain points so no one gets mm-hmm. to be domineering over me and so I, it, I i particularly avoid men that are older than me for like relationships because they have they tend to be a bit more domineering in my um experience uh, and so I don't want my father, and I think that's the impact that because I had that absenteeism, I don't want it from anybody else. Because I think I've said I, I, I was I was able to live without it and survive without it. So no one is now going to come and try to play that role. So yeah, that's kind of how it's impacted me. I don't want anybody deciding for me. I don't want anybody um, acting like they're in charge of me. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Um, who is a who is a man, especially if him like more masculine if it's you know has those kind of attributes i'm even much more like defensive wow that's actually really fascinating like the idea that uh the absenteeism of your father has shaped your even like your romantic interests to that extent is is rather yes but even weird like so Javion and i always joke about this like sometimes he's joking and then sometimes he gets like in, in certain way, and he said, react like, you know, when you're shifting like quick, like, who do you think you have to talk to? And he said, no one, really. So <laughs> even my friends have kind of learned how that those kinds of things about me. And I'm also more cognizant of it now, so that I know so sometimes I have to react as immediately. Um, and that what it is, is me and how I perceive um, just any man in authority in relation to me, and just kind of not reacting as defensively or even aggressively as I might. Because I feel like when, when I see a man being aggressive towards me or just being overly masculine, my immediate thing is to become like evil witch, evil queen mode, where I try, and then that's what it's like. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, Kareem, I've known Kareem for like, what, 15 years now, and I have never met this guy's father. So really? I know you said things have been... No, I, I've never. I mean, I well, know he was away most of my 
most of the time that we um we've known each other and I guess the times that oh, you really? have come to visit you have you really haven't seen him. Oh wow, that's so strange. Cause we literally live in the same house. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny. Um so I think so my dad's relationship my dad and I's relationship have have been I don't know, it's been kind of like this weird relationship where my dad isn't necessarily one he's not a man of many words. Um, and he was away most of my childhood. So he's been living here since what, 2000, um, or 2002. Um, and then I recently reconnected with him in 2011, but we always spoke over the phone and the conversations over the phone, um, were really short. They were pretty beef. Hey dad, how are you? Um, I'm good. How's work treating you? Okay. It's good. Or if I need some, like, for a school field trip or something, then I'll ask him for it. But um, we never had like those deep conversations about either of our lives. Um, when I came here, I didn't, well, I didn't come out to my dad in this traditional sense where I was like, I had the conversation like, hey dad, this is who I am. This is how I feel, blah, blah, blah. We never had that kind of conversation. Um, my coming out to my dad literally was me going to him a few days before I was getting married to say, hey dad, I'm getting married to um to Jamali and his exact words were you man do you think man do you think man you man do you think man and that was it like i've never had to come out and confirm anything to him and we never we still we never spoke about our relationship my relationship my um with my husband and i we kind of still don't but there are other ways that he I guess, and I, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but just ways that he sends his affirmation um, or ways that, you know, despite or in spite of or whether or not w- whatever people say, I don't care, I still love you. Um, and I've hinted at some of that in, in the previous episodes. But, for example, like in the most Jamaican setting, like he works at a Jamaican restaurant. So in that restaurant where um all the toxic and traditional masculinities are normally upheld and even protected he when i walk into the restaurant to get something from him he'll go i'm a stone this yeah man yeah man i'm a stone this yeah man yeah man i'm a stone this um whether or not regardless of what i'm wearing and how i'm presenting yeah man i'm a stone this man i'm a stone this yeah man yeah man and for me that has been like one of the most beautiful things because um i may I would expect another reaction um, or for him not to really say anything or announce my presence in such a space, but he doesn't, he doesn't stop to. And then reflecting on growing up, he never, I have another older um, brother who was, I guess, openly gay to the family. And I've never heard him once say anything negative about his queerness or about him being gay or anything of that sort. Like he never had any aversions or any type of like, reactions when his name came up um so i don't know it's just one of those things that we've never spoken about but now that i'm reflecting just like hmm why haven't we spoken about it do we need to speak about it i mean right because it's the same situation with me and my father so now that we reconnected after um there was this falling out around the same time that i fell out with um his side of family um like I said, it wasn't connected to my queerness. Um, when we reconnected and I spent some time with him in 2017, um, I wondered if we had to talk about it because by then I was working with J-Flag and by then 
um, it had become pretty clear to most people in my family that I was not just gay, but also out and visible. And we never talked about it, but there was this one pivotal moment in the trip, at least pivotal for me. I don't know if it was pivotal for him. And there was this news radio about uh, this new human born news radio. There was this newscast about um, some LGBT issue and people protesting um, some LGBT issue. I don't know if it was protesting pride or whatever. And so his response to it was like, they should just leave the people alone, just accept that there are people who are different, yada, yada, yada. And I never said anything, but I kind of felt like that was in his way kind of signaling to me that this is my view on this issue. And we never had to talk about it after that. I mean, there were some weird moments where he thought I had some girlfriend or something, but I don't know if that was um, just him also taking the time to hurt you whatever. Because once again, we haven't talked about it, but I think that was a positive signal from him to me. But also at this point in my life, I mean, I'm not opposed to a relationship, a, a deeper relationship with my father, but then also, I'm not, I, just like with my mom, I don't think we'll ever, I'll ever be that person to sit and chop up with my relationship about what my relationships, romantic relationships are with my mother. And the same thing would go for my father. Um, so, um, but I, I do think they find these creative ways of, sending signals right. to us um, mm-hmm. so yeah so I have a question it seems to me based on the stories all of you are shared you know uh, sorry I mean this really is not much to, to say my father is also someone not of many words he wasn't in he wasn't around for most of my childhood we haven't had that conversations uh, both my parents occasionally ask about uh girlfriend girlfriends and wives although my father is like less preoccupied with these things um but i don't know it's actually not that interesting and i feel like i've i've spoken enough about like my whole daddy problems but there was something that came across in the three stories that you all shared that i wanted to pick up on so there seems to be this kind of like narrative of um absenteeism whether it's like a physical absence or a kind of emotional or emotional absence or distance. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, do you, okay, and I'm trying to figure out how do we, how to access in a way that doesn't suggest that absenteeism led to, um, or like caused queerness, I guess. But I'm also, but I'm almost wondering if that kind of absenteeism gave space for you to develop uh, or explore your queerness in a way that you might not have been able to if, they were more present in a different kind of way. I mean, I don't necessarily think so because one, I've no, I know, I know many people in my life who have active fathers who explore more than me or just as much as me or been able to find um, their queerness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- and then absenteeism, absentee fathers is a big thing in Jamaica, mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily um, lead to people being, even if you take it. Even if you're not thinking about homosexuality or trans identity um, or bisexuality, uh, it not necessarily lead to people being sexually exploratory because the truth is we get our cues about gender and masculinity from a lot of other sources um, except directly from our fathers. And yeah. so, um, even though absent, there's an absentee father, there's some very clear messages that you should be straight. If I have girl, if I if I fuck early, and all these kinds of things, yeah. uh, that yeah. play upon Jamaican consciousness, um, right. I think 
even if it's not like physically absent, the kind of emotionally absent or or reservedness or restrictiveness is a feature of black fatherhood that Mm -hmm. is a colonial legacy um, that is a part of that hyper-masculinity that I think people are just now working um, um, around debunking. And I guess I'm interested in this the new age or generation of fathers. Will they, one, be more active in their children's lives, but not just that. Will they be prepared and ready to be with mm-hmm. their queer sons and, and, and queer daughters and trans, their trans daughters especially because... It's one thing for parents to, or fathers especially, to raise a gay son. I mean, in his mind, it's still a son, and even if he's gay, he might still like the same things I like. When you're raising a, a, some, a, a child that you assume is a boy, and then that child tells you, oh, but I'm a girl, uh, that brings up another set of, set of um, realities and experiences. And, um, and then the, the whole notion that I failed you, uh, becomes mm-hmm. a big thing. And I think for both parents, mothers and fathers, but I can imagine for fathers especially, um, the notion of failing their, their children by allowing them to be themselves, whether it is be queer or trans um, or gay or trans, is a big thing for them. And I think about Janet Mock's book, um, Redefining Realness, and her story about her relationship with her father and her, how her father later admitted that um, he was trying to toughen her up or he was trying to connect with her um, in a certain kind of way that just didn't work. Um, and I think that's a, it's a part of that's a part of the conversation about um, our relationships with our fathers, how oftentimes, as we said before, they see our critics as their failures. Yeah, I just want I just want to clarify really quickly. So what I was thinking about was there is a way that okay, depending on the kind of family familial situation that we end up in there is a way that perceived queerness might be met with, um, well, I'm not going to have that in my house. I'm going to send you to cadet. I've heard of situations where um, in some families they have this initiation where they where boys are like basically sent out to like engage in some kind of sexual activities with mm-hmm. women from very young. I'm thinking of, you know, potentially, I don't know, I'm guessing Jamaica doesn't have an equivalent to conversion camp necessarily in, in the kind of like institution but I guess I'm wondering if I, I, I'm thinking of it primarily or more so in terms of surveillance if not being watched as closely or being bothered about in that kind of sense allowed um, might have allowed some of us to I guess find our way in a way that isn't as um, violent is, I guess is, is what I'm trying to tease up. No I guess you're saying, but I'm thinking about because, and I really understood that that's where you were coming from. But I'm thinking about the people in my life that had active fathers, or at least fathers that they lived with, but were not just queer, but way more ahead in terms of being a, a part of the community, going to parties and things like that. So um, I get where you're coming from, but just based on what I've seen with others, I don't know if that necessarily pans out that way. Okay, it was just a thought. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I guess since you're kind of like halfway through, um, you do want to tell the people about this big article that you put out. That's you. That's a lot of nice things. All right. Um. So for for almost over a year, I was um writing this piece on my relationship with my father. Um. I 
when I think it was what period of five to six years, I had not said even hello to this man. I had not spoken to him. Um, we had no exchange, and this was after it was after a fight that like a physical fight that 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 we had um, due to. Uh, well, I was defending my mom in an argument that he, they were having, and it and it became physical with me and him. Um, he, he, I pulled away one out of protection. I wanted to protect myself from him finding or from him knowing that I was gay, as well as not wanting to have or to initiate a conversation about my my queerness with, with him. Um. While living here in Canada, my sister, my sister was getting married in Jamaica, and I remember feeling very hurt when she told me that um, she had asked my older sister to do the to do the toast to the parents because she knew that me and Daddy had not worked out our issues. I'm like, okay. I would expect to be the one giving the toast. I know a little ego going on in there, um, and so I I decided okay I needed to I needed to fix this relationship with him. I remember going to or speaking to my partner about it, and he said okay probably you need to go and see a counselor about it, just to find out what what is happening, what what's what's underneath all of this. Um, a major part of it was I find. I found that a major part of this divide was my queerness and this idea that I was holding on to that I had failed him as a son, as his only son, um, because I was gay. Um, there was this idea that I somehow was right under my skin that not being the man, <laughs> not being the man in, in terms of getting married or providing a daughter-in-law for him or stuff like that, that he would see me as less than or he would not be willing to accept that. I didn't even give him a chance, really, to, to prove or or to prove me right or to prove me wrong. Um, went to the council, did the counseling session, um, decided to reach out to him and just to, just to have a conversation. And in, in many ways, he surprised me. In many ways... He, and I really do think it's a function of age on his part, in many ways that he was way more, more open and unwilling to, to accept me even more than my mother was at the time that I, I came out to her. Um, I, reflecting on it right now, I am, I am not sorry for the time it took or the time apart that we had because I really think that that aided in bringing us to where we were to be able to have that conversation and to and, and to come away with a resolution that we had. Um, it we're in a much better place now. I mean, it's not something that we talk. We don't talk often. We don't do that everyday chat. As say, I would message my mom as, as much. Um, but it's it's a much healthier relationship than me hiding and trying not to to, to show him the whole me, right? So, so I mean, and it's something that, I mean, since I wrote that that blog post and put it out there, many people have reached out to me. Um, it's amazing how many people are living similar life stories 
or how how much how, how how much in common we all have. And people are saying, okay, they, they probably should have that conversation or they should reach out. And and something that I, I caution people on because each of us know our parents or know what our parents can handle. And also know yourself, like what it is that you can take on and shouldn't feel forced because other people are doing it or because it was successful for this one person that it means that it's going to end up the same way for you. Um, I, I really think that I was emboldened because one, I am not dependent on my father. I'm not um in the same country as him even um there there there's nothing that he could do to truly hurt me and so the risks were low right um and so i just just encourage people to just probably weigh that out just to just to think um can my father handle this information would it hurt him or hurt me for him not to know or not to get this information? And how much harm can be done by sharing this? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I was just wondering, so why are you talking to two things? One, yeah, I'm saying the name of the blog post so um, the listeners oh. can hear and know where they can read it. But equally, I guess I'm thinking through... Um, that a lot of times we assume out of fear and a reasonable fear that our parents will react a certain way. Um, and, and and so I think in the same breath that we kind of caution people about being strategic, about thinking through when and how we have conversations with the people that matter to us, that we should also um, think about uh whether we are also being unfair to the people that we are around and not giving them an opportunity to um see all of us because a lot of times our insecurities and our fears stop us from giving the people around us a fair shot um showing them the real us that's true So, hey guys, we're breaking the podcast just for a little to explain to you what happens next. So, we we were having some technical difficulties, unfortunately, in the recording of the episode, and we lost some really good files, or some pieces of the recording, I should say, in the middle of that. So, for the rest of the episode, you won't be hearing from our good sis Kareem and all of the wonderful things he had to say, and the editing will reflect that. We apologize for that and promise to be back better and stronger for our finale episode of this season. Thank you and stay sophisticated. Now back to your regular programming. Mm-hmm. So I did have two questions. Well, I have two questions. One has two parts. Uh, so... If I recall, you know, when you were first telling me about um, some of your anxieties around uh, reconnecting with your father, you were saying that you were um, talking with someone. And so I'm interested if you are so inclined to share. Um, <laughs> well, that's for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I mean, well, you first, but like all of us, but well, all of y'all, because I don't need to, but, <laughs> but um, what is... Uh, I guess the, so. The first question is, 
what is something that you hope to get or cultivate or develop through your relationship with your father now, but also what is something that you had to let go of? Oi, 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 chai. Oh, yeah, we're going now. All right. I probably should speak to what I had to let go. One of the things, or one of the most profound things that came out of the session for me, and I wrote about it in the blog, um, my self-centered, self-centered queer, um, was that most of the things that I wanted from my father was not... That it was would not serve a thirty plus year old man. Hmm. The things that I wanted, the things that I wanted, were really for a thirteen year old boy or fourteen year old boy. Things that I felt I did not get from him then, and I was still holding on to them. And the council pointed out to me that these things that I was carrying around, my father was not able to provide, and so I would be setting myself up for disappointment because he can't go back and do what he didn't do. Um, I, he, then she, she, he then said to me that I needed to look on what it is that I can get from my father now based on what I know or, or I know of him and what I was willing to accept from him. Um, it, 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 was, it really was one of those, I probably need to tattoo it on my arm, <laughs> um, one of those moments that really forced me to, you know, kind of step back and look at him as a person, not just as my father, but as a human being, as a full-fledged human being that had feelings, that had issues outside of me, that had issues he probably was still dealing with from his own childhood. Right and and what were some of my expectations of this of this being and and if I was really being fair to him, right? Um, I stepped back, looked at my dad. I tried. I mean, I mean, my my, fa- my father's a case and a half, right? <laughs> and I I I I'm not. I I don't. Tr- I'm not trying to, trying to to make him into a saint. And I'm going to canonize him for, for, for some of the bad things that he still does. Um, but I, I've come to the place where I understand why he does some of the things that he does. And it has made some of the heartache and some of the, some of the, some of the pain that I've, that I have had to live with. I've made it easier to carry. Right. Um, it, 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 I found too that I've I've been helping my sisters because we we and, and I think that this whole thing of you know of discussing daddy and, and talking about some of the things that we all witnessed growing up as as growing up in, in, in at home that having that conversation has actually made us even closer, like me and my sisters, that they've made us closer because we recognize that there are certain things that we all saw that we didn't talk about with each other. There are certain things that or certain ideas that we held, like my, my my younger sister, for instance, she was more was more. We can't say tomboy. That's sure. Yeah, she was more of a tomboy, and so I felt like my father really liked her because she was the one to to be doing all the things that he wanted a boy to be doing. He wanted a boy, and the boy, the one boy that he had, wasn't giving him all of that. So here was this his youngest doing everything that he wanted from a boy. 
And even that, we, we, when, when she and I spoke about it, I realized that she was not comfortable being called on to do certain things because she said, no, this is, I'm not supposed to be doing this type of thing, right? And, and all of that, we, well, we discussed and, and just brought, come to a better understanding of our, our own father that we see each other different and we see our, our parents differently. And as I said, it has made some of the pain, it has healed some of the pain as well as has made some of the issues easier to, to travel around with. Mm. Wow. So funny enough, um, I attended this event um, a couple of weeks back. Um, it was for International Men's Day. I mean, I have my own feelings about the, that day, but um, they have been trying to use it to do critical work and so I, I acknowledge that. And so there was this event about masculinity um, that I that I promised Twitter I was going to attend. So I had to attend. So I showed up, handbag in hand, green cape, <laughs> and I and I planned to to sit down at the back and not be visible. But then when I was entering um, the, I, and I don't know if it's the organizers, but the, the security guard had a certain disposition, and I felt okay. Since y'all are, since this is how I'm greeted, um, I'm gonna sit at the front and, and just let y'all know that this bitch is in the house. This bitch that will drag you all on Twitter if does if this turns out to be some mess. Anywho, in the end, I gave it um, a, a, a fairly decent greeting and kind of acknowledged that there were some positives in it. And for me, one of what one of my critiques were the absence of queer voices and the centering where issues um, when we're talking about masculinity and I think this is what we need we need that space for queer sons to talk to their fathers Mm. an opportunity for us to say to have like some platform something so this is a good start Fishy is is always a good start to have our voices there but beyond Fishy there needs to be a space where we talk about we talk to fathers about what happens when you either disown us, you abuse us, you are absent from our lives, or you perpetuate harmful narratives that cause a friction between us and them. I think that's what that's what needs to happen. Like the conversation isn't happening. And yes, there are the Will Smiths and the Dwayne Wades and the Magic Johnsons who have provided for their black um, sons to um, express themselves, to find themselves, and to be their their um, authentic selves. But usually, these persons are placed on the fringes. These persons are seen as um, crazy, or seen as um, not living up to black masculinity. And then there's this notion that being queer or being feminine is a part of some agenda to feminize black men and women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all of the whole ideologies that oh if you're black and a man you must be masculine and if you're not masculine then you know you're a part of the white man's agenda to weaken you uh, not nah, nigga please None of so all of that bullshit needs to be um, confronted addressed and I think what needs to happen is that because there's this tendency to when we're empowering black men um, and uh, are trying to present positive images of black men that we intentionally ex- exclude black queer men. So we need to be a conversation between 
black those organizations um, that are focusing on black fatherhood that are focusing on black men and black masculinities who are and, and, and an effort to, to ensure that those spaces intentionally include black queer men and foster conversation and not just black queer men who will be like, oh, but I'm, not, I, I'm gay, but I'm not that gay. No. Right. Because those like masculine black queer men who will, will legit sell out as femme queens. No. You need spaces that facilitate black queer femme guys to talk about their issues with masculinity and present the diversity of the community and talk about the kind of harms that we face. And until, unless and until we get to there, we're going to continue to have those kinds of problems because we're just not talking about it. We're not having the conversation enough and we're not recognizing the harm. <laughs> um, so Glenroy, you haven't answered the the prompt. What was it again? It, it, it missed me. Uh, what? Oh, crap. What was the question? <laughs> uh, what is something that you are hoping for or hoping to cultivate or develop with your relationship, in your relationship with your father? And what is something that you had to let go? <laughs> well, I, so for me, well, I, don't even hope to, I hope for anything specific. So let's throw that out there. Because unlike my mother, where we definitely had something and lost it and got it back, for me and my father, there was there was just this big gap in our lives. And I think what had happened was, at, I, okay, I lie. We know exactly what happened. Um, my mom and father did stop talking around a certain point in my life. And then I, I, went, I slowly went through a transformation. I might have mentioned this before. After my first relationship, um, after going through certain programs, um, after just kind of also adding different kinds of friendships that kind of softened me, that made me less angry, that made me less of um, the kind of, kind of overly defensive, in-your-face, battle warrior kind of person, whatever. And I'd also gotten to a certain level of comfort in my life and comfort in my life that I realized there was no need for me to hold on to certain for, uh, whatever pain and hurt that I felt towards I, both parent. And, and so I, I just became more open to conversations with him. And so for me, it's just like to be able to have moments with him now. I think that's really just what I want, to kind of have some of um, what, I, what I did not have as much at, of. And so when we spent time together, it was a genuine good time. Um, we did go to this 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 um, July Fourth barbecue, and he was jerking him chicken. I didn't go away for a little while. I mean, it ended up on jerk the chicken, so my avid for some can jerk chicken. So like little things like that, um, just like more of that, so we can have we can connect kind of it in many ways that we are similar and learn from each other um, in ways that we are different. Okay, dope. All right, and just to help us close up really quickly. Um, what is one? I'm sorry. What now? <laughs> I want to hear your. I'm I'm sorry. You're you're breaking up. Um, <laughs> but uh, blood clot. We put here. You know, in other streets, and they will fight. You're not it. I got a blood clot question. Uh but is something I had to let go of. Let go of. Uh, oh, you have it. Yeah. 
I guess, I, I don't know. I had to let go of any, I had to let, let go of a, per, of a certain kind of uh, definition of um, intimacy. So I don't think my father and I will ever be close. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a relationship. Hmm. Um, and I can be okay with that or I can learn to be okay with that. Uh, what was the other part of the question? What you had to what, what am I hoping? I am hoping I would like to have to know more about his his own childhood and mm. his relationship with his father. Because I, I find that I, I have these very brief momentary glimpses into what his life was like before any of his children were in the world. And so I would like to learn more about that. So for example, um a lot of my family members have the same initials and I want to know where that came from and why that's the case. Or I didn't find out what the name of my grandfather was until mm. I was, what, 13 years old. And I feel like these are things that I should know about. I, I don't know. I, I would like to know where my parents came from so I could also have a, an idea of where I'm from as well. So that's something I hope to, to learn more about at some point in the future. So there you go. But I mean, okay, so just to wrap up really quickly, what is one redeeming quality that, because I mean, you know how people are like, you know, they aren't like their parents and then they find themselves doing things or seeing things and you're like, fuck my life. Oh my God. I am just like my father. Are there any redeeming qualities that you think you share with your dad, your dad, that you've identified? Well, him faced him, me faced this at the Absolutely. Absolutely. Then people know so they're not for ramp food we. Um, I, I think, and, and this is both a good and a bad thing, I, I should say, that um, we hate to, I, I find, and it's something that I used to hate with him, that he doesn't like to disappoint people. And because he doesn't like to disappoint people, when he realizes that it's going to happen, he doesn't have the conversation at all. Hmm. He hides from the conversation. So he will try his best to help. And if he can't help, mm -hmm. then you just don't see him. <laughs> like he disappeared. <laughs> and and I and um Bernard Williams, my mother, pointed out that I also have huh. I also have that trait which I am trying to work on. Hmm. So so I, I think so it's a thing that you don't want to disappoint. So you try your best to, to put yourself out to do something. And then if you're failing, then you're like, oh God, oh God, okay, I can't, I can't tell this person that I can't do this again because, mm. yeah, so. I mean, that's an interesting trait for you to reflect on because I'm wondering how that trait might have manifested in his relationship with you. Like, I'm sure oh. parents have Ooh, the best intentions to, something we're thinking about, like, is he, like, he might very well be regretful of some of the things he said or did, but like, he is unable to bring himself 
to have that conversation with you or perhaps any of his children. So mm-hmm. that might be something for you to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, Colonel, what is, what is, what is the, the quality you and your father share? Uh, I think we're both like pretty big on being listeners. Like my father isn't someone who like take up out of space in terms of conversation, but he'll like sit there and he'll take it in. And when he speaks, he usually has something yeah, useful to say. I hope I have useful things to say when I do speak. So um, foundation, so clearly. Yeah. You just you just set me up sent me on my head a while ago. Oh, oh there we go. We have Oh, wow. There we go. <laughs> All right. So do you want to take it away, Glenroy? Well, this has been a deep and thought-provoking and a very interesting conversation. And it's not a conversation that I think we have often enough within the community. Like, we, we all know we have daddy issues, but I don't know if we all make the effort to kind of talk about it, into it and think through how they've actively shaped us. Partly because we don't want people to make those kind of problematic connections between absenteeism and queerness, but it is a meaningful conversation to have. And thank you, thank you. Nice voice, Albert. <laughs> Thanks, Ben Roy. For joining us and sharing your perspectives and giving some tea to the children. Thank you. Um, so thank you to all your listeners. If you want to reach out to us, it's at Fish Tea Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. Um, Glenn, hold on one second. I, I, just, just, I just want to say this, that as a listener to the podcast, um, I, I, I really have to commend you guys. Um, I find it's extremely useful. Uh, if, if there's one regret I had is that I didn't have something like this when I was coming and finding my my own way in the world, right? Um, but you know, to the young Glen Rise and the young Cornells and the young Kareems that are out there, um, young Alberts and the young Alberts, yeah, yeah, the young Alberts, <laughs> Alberts still young too, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that this is indeed a useful tool, and I I know that it will be helpful. Um, just to help them navigate this space called queerness, that's called gaydom, that's called world, whatever you want to label it as. Um, just just to give them some some tea, some some fish tea to nourish them body as they they they, they, they go forth. You know. So. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> All right, listeners, so follow us, message us, retweet us, share us, and stay sophisticated.